This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanks, St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. into our circumstances, into the situations that we face. Lord, we want to encounter you in everything, in all that we do, we want to encounter you. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, we would, we would know you more, whether we're here, in this place, whether we're upstairs, whether we're in the back room, the young people, wherever we are in this building, Lord, I pray that your scripture would be opened up to us and that you would speak to the youngest right to the eldest. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to take your seats and um, children and young people are going to be gathered up. Well, that doesn't sound right, does it, really? (laughs) Going to be gathered up. Going to go to their ministry. Thank you. <clears throat> so we've come to the um, final chapter in our book of Ruth in the story. We've been journeying with Ruth for the last few weeks, and today uh, it is the final final chapter, which is chapter four. So if you have your your Bibles and you want to turn to Ruth chapter four, then please do so. I think we've got it on the screen as well. So you can follow. Thank you, that's great. It's a bit small, but we'll go with it. Okay, so Boaz redeems Ruth. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Hang on a moment, let me just pause, all right? Because if you weren't here last week, let's just do a little bit of a recap, okay, what happened. So Ruth had gone to Boaz um, on, to the threshing floor, if you remember last week, and um, she had uh, basically proposed to him, in a nutshell. Um, Boaz was the, what we call a kinsman redeemer. So Boaz could um, redeem Ruth and Naomi. Um, he was a relative of them, so he could do that. So she had gone to Boaz. She'd been working in the fields of Boaz, so they knew each other well. And um, she had gone and said this to Boaz, and, and he was in agreement, but he said there was a closer relative. There was a closer relative who could redeem Naomi and Ruth, because Naomi and Ruth are widows. Um, They've lost their husbands. And um, back then, in those days, that's what happened. Some of your close relative would um, would, uh, marry the widow so that the family line could be continued. They were called kinsmen redeemers. So that's what's happened. And um, Ruth has then gone to Boaz knowing that uh, he is one of the kinsmen redeemers and said, you know, um, will you redeem us? Will, will you marry me? And so we can carry on the family line. 
But Boaz has said um, that he wants to, but there is a closer relative. There is someone else that is first in line, as it were, to be the redeemer. Uh, so Boaz, in this in chapter 4, what's going on is Boaz is going to go and speak to that person. So let's pick it up again. Sorry. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. They were um, as witnesses, really. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the man said, he would, he, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Shall we just pause for a moment at that? I think that that makes me smile. Does that make anyone else smile? You know, I love this, that, you know, how straightforward was it? We'll make an agreement, we'll make, you know, some exchange, and we'll take off a sandal. Brilliant. I love it. You know, this day and age, we're on, you know, signing contracts. You have to read through a mountain of stuff, and if you do anything online and tick the box, the agreement, you have to go through it all, don't you? You know, gone are the days when you could do, you know, little finger pinky promise with somebody. (coughs) doesn't stand anymore, does it? But here they are. Taking off the sandal, and that was it. That was the agreement. I just—it just makes me laugh. I just thought that's nice, isn't it? Wish I could do that. Here you go. Anyway, let's pick it up again. <laughs> um, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, "You are witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon." I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are the witnesses this day. <clears throat> then all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And we know, of course, that Jesus Christ came from the line of David. So, we come to an end of this beautiful, wonderful story. And we've looked a lot at Ruth and Naomi as characters, and we've learned a lot from them. I want us just to turn our attention for a moment to Boaz. And Boaz comes into um, his own at the end of chapter 3, and then in this chapter 4 as well. Because what we see in Boaz is a really genuine man of God. A really caring, kind, fabulous person, really. And we can learn quite a bit from the character of Boaz. Way back in chapter 1, we're given the impression in verse 12 that there'd be no hope for Ruth to be able to marry and raise children again if she returned to Bethlehem with Naomi. And remember, Naomi was trying to persuade her not to come and not to go with her. But actually, what we see, what I've said over these last few weeks, is that God was really working behind the scenes of their life and raising up this man, this godly man, Boaz, who was a wealthy man, a businessman, and he was being made ready for Ruth. And throughout, he's done the honourable thing towards Ruth. Um, He helped her in the fields. He provided for her. He protected her. He made sure that she was safe when she was gleaning in the fields. And now, Boaz is saying, um, I'm going to accept this role. I'm going to accept the job of taking you on and, and being you, yours, Ruth, and Naomi's redeemer. But, of course, he recognises that there's one closer. So, of course, he is an honourable man. He makes sure that he goes to this other kinsman redeemer that could be and asks him whether he wants to wants to take Ruth and Naomi and uh, whether he wants to take on that responsibility so he goes to this other redeemer and he gets the matter sorted now Naomi was selling or it tells us she was selling the the use of her land and this would be done until the year of jubilee and the land had no owner because obviously um her husband had passed away, so it wouldn't pass on to anyone um, because she had no children to pass it on to either. So this unnamed, I'm going to call him the unnamed or unknown redeemer, um, will purchase the land, and if he purchases the land, and during that time Naomi passes away, of course the land then becomes that possession of the redeemer. So actually, it was a, a good deal for a redeemer to do that, to, to buy the land, to, to purchase that land, in, well, to take on that land, sorry, in that sense, because Naomi would pass away and then it would be his. Okay, so it was a good deal in that sense. And so initially, he agrees to redeem the land. Okay, so that's what the unnamed, unknown redeemer does. He said, yeah, okay, I will do that. I will take on the land because he's thinking, well, the land will eventually become mine um, at one point, at some point in the future. It would be good for him. But 
When he finds out that he has to redeem Naomi and Ruth as well as have the land, he's not interested. He doesn't want he doesn't want that at all. Okay? He doesn't want to um, continue the line of Elimelech. He doesn't want to continue that family line. He, he wants the land, but he doesn't really want Naomi and Ruth. He doesn't want to take on that responsibility and care for them in that way. And he says, um, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it, redeem it. So he's worried and concerned that if he takes on Naomi and Ruth then his inheritance and, and, and his name would then be at risk, of course, because he would be continuing their name. But actually, Ruth had asked Boaz to redeem her. The land wasn't important, really, was it, for Ruth and Naomi? Um, that wasn't their main focus and their main issue. But she had asked Boaz to redeem them. And I think it's interesting that the writer of this account leaves out the name of the other possible uh, redeemer. There, his name's not mentioned. We just know him. I'm just calling him the unnamed or unknown redeemer. He's just nameless. He doesn't have his name written there. Um, and that's because I think the writer might have thought, well, he's decided not to carry on the line of Elimelech. He's decided to uh, not marry Ruth and, and take on Naomi as well. He's decided to not do that. And so I'm not going to mention his name in this account, in this story. It doesn't really deserve to have his name recorded down because he's decided to not go with this. He's willing to redeem the land, but not willing to redeem the women. The land would make him money. The redeeming of the widows would cost him. It would cost him because they would share then in all his wealth. But Boaz is different. You see, Boaz really cares for Ruth and Naomi. He cares for them. He wants to make sure that they're safe. He wants to make sure that they're provided for, that they're cared for, that they're looked after into the future and that the, their, their family line continues. There's quite a contrast here. It's quite a contrast between this redeemer that we don't know anything about really. He's unnamed, he's unknown. And then the kinsman redeemer of Boaz. Two different people. One more concerned really about himself and his own desires and the preservation of his own name and his own family line. <clears throat> and then Boaz, who is, who is not so concerned about that actually. Who cares more and is worried about them and isn't too worried about his own name. Unfortunately... And the very desire for this unknown redeemer to preserve his name and to keep it, he actually loses it. Because there's no mention of his name at all in this book. In the very desire to hold on to the thing that he wants to continue, he loses. And yet Boaz, who's willing to give it up, willing to say, okay, it's not about my name being continued, willing to, to let go of that, his name is actually preserved. And he's held up as the hero in this, in this book, in this story. The unnamed redeemer could have redeemed it. He says he can't, but he could have done. He could have done that. He, he chose not to. He wouldn't. And I wonder whether it kind of poses a question in my mind, looking at that little, just that little account there, about how often in life do we say we can't do something. But actually, it's not so much a can't, it's really just a won't. 
We put out there that we can't do whatever it is that God might be asking us to do or we just feel in our heart that we should do, but we say we can't. But maybe it's a little bit more of a won't. I wonder which redeemer we are more like. There could be a part of us, a little bit like that unknown unnamed redeemer that's so concerned with keeping things just the way that they are he was comfortable his life was okay he didn't didn't want to mess things up didn't want to take any risks so he stayed where he was and didn't take Ruth and Naomi I wonder sometimes if we can be a little bit like that in our journey and in our life, we're, we're where we are and we're very comfortable where we are. We kind of like where we are right now. It's kind of safe where we are. And God might be saying something to us or we read something in the scriptures about something and we say, oh, no, I can't because I want to stay like this. And maybe if we're true and we look deep into our heart, it might not be a can't. Sometimes it obviously is. But maybe we need to check that it's not just a won't. The unknown redeemer existed basically on the might be of life, of what could have happened. Because he was selfish and stubborn. He wanted to stay safe. He didn't want to take a risk. But let's just imagine he had. Let's imagine that unknown redeemer had said, yes, I will take Ruth and Naomi into my care. It's not so much about the preservation of of my inheritance my that I'm giving or my family name I'll take them in I'll look after them I'm the closest relative it's my job it's my role to do that if he had done that we wouldn't be reading about Boaz's name we'd be reading about his name we'd be reading about his story but he doesn't he he kind of plays it safe and he misses out on what could have been. He misses out on being really spectacularly in the lineage of Christ Jesus. One of the great discoveries a man makes, one of his great surprises, Henry Ford says, is to find he can do what he was afraid he couldn't do. There was a great tightrope artist. You might know this man, Carl Wallander. And Carl Wallander passed away in 1978 after he fell from the tightrope, a 75-foot fall. And throughout his life, apparently, he showed absolutely no signs of fear. He just loved what he did. He loved it. And he once said this, being on a tightrope is living, everything else is waiting. <clears throat> I can't imagine ever thinking that, but he did. He was, he was just set on it. But prior to his death, apparently his wife said this. She said that for about three straight months prior to walking across the tightrope, all that Carl thought about was falling for three months before he went on that. And it was the first time, she said, that he ever did that. He never focused on that at all. He just loved what he did. He focused on being on the tightrope and never was worried about the falling. But... She said, it seemed to me like he put all his energies into not falling um, rather than the walking. He was thinking about what could happen rather than what he was doing. I thought that was an interesting little illustration for us there about sometimes what I think our Christian walk and journey can be a little bit like at times. We're putting so much energy into not falling 
so much energy into you know not going under that we've lost sight of the goal and what we really need to be holding on to and so we do end up going a little bit under fear can sneak in worry anxiety and the unnamed redeemer didn't want to risk his security and well maybe we can't blame him for that but i want to ask that question to us today you know how willing are we to risk the security of where we are because sometimes life can be quite comfortable and quite safe in our journey with god and you know we've been talking about moving from where we are in christ to moving to where we really want to be and what we want to see in christ and i sometimes think how afraid am i at moving a little bit deeper a little bit further into the things of god and the things that god is asking me to do am i too safe am i too secure Am I saying, oh, I can't really do that, but maybe it's just more of a won't. I don't want to miss out. I don't want us to say that we can't when actually maybe we can. This man, this unknown redeemer, perhaps he was just a bit worried. Perhaps he was just a little bit scared about what the future might hold for him if he, if he marries Ruth and take, takes Ruth and Naomi into his care. And so he said, no, no, you, you do it, Boaz. But in doing that, he missed out. And Boaz was the man who said, yes, yes, I can. Yes, I will. And it led him into this great opportunity. I think Boaz were led to believe, it doesn't say anywhere else, that I think Boaz led quite a good life. Um, There's nothing to tell us otherwise. And um, he was well-respected. He was a businessman. He was wealthy. We're told that. He was godly. We're told that. And um, I think we get the impression that probably his life was was pretty good. It was pretty good on his journey. But he could have said, I don't want to risk my security. I don't want to, um, just like the unknown redeemer, he could have said, actually, no, I don't want to do it either because things are pretty okay for me right now. Life is pretty good for me right now and I, I don't want to do that either. I don't want to share my wealth and continue the family line of somebody else. But he didn't and he went with it. And it took him in to this great story. He didn't miss out. And I've been saying about this idea of moving into all the things that Christ has for us and moving into the things of God and if we want to move from where we are to where we want to be in the fullness of Christ I wonder whether we need to be a little bit like Boaz we need to maybe take a little bit of a risk sometimes maybe break out from the comfortable place the safe place the security that we have in so many other things in order that we don't miss out on all that God has and sometimes that can be the simplest of things That can be the simplest of things wherever we are just to take the opportunity to do something for God in the workplace, at home, in our social life, whatever it is. It could be really big things. Like, you know, you hear stories of people selling everything up and going overseas and it can be massive life-changing things. But it can also be just smaller things where we take that risk, where we come out of the comfort zone to do what we know God is calling us to do. And sometimes I, if you're anything like me, I say, no, God, I I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I can't speak to that person. I can't, you know, do whatever it is. But really, I probably can. I just don't want to risk it. I don't want to risk my reputation. I don't want to risk looking silly. And I don't want to, whatever it is, 
And maybe it's more I won't rather than I can't. So having a little look at all these different three characters over the last few weeks, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, there's something that we can learn from all of these three people. You know, we looked at Naomi, this great lady who um, had suffered such great loss. And from the outset of the story, we see and we're told that Naomi went from this place of bitterness. She was bitter and she was sad and she was downhearted. That was the reality that Naomi started off in. She was in a place of sadness and bitterness. But she moved into a place of great joy, a place of great happiness at the end of the story. Her life is a brilliant testament of God's grace throughout her, her journey. A great, a great testimony to the, the providence of God, that God really does care for her, that God really was working behind the scenes of her life to bring things about, to make things good, to work things together. You know, she started off at the beginning saying, God's brought this calamity on me. And then at the end of the story, what we see is just an absolute restoration. And we see the happiness and the joy that she had. And we could be like Naomi. We could be in a place. Our reality could be similar to where Naomi started off in that situation. Uh, We could be downhearted. We could be sad, we could be bitter, we could be perhaps in that same circumstance. But I want us to be encouraged today to look at this lady and her story and say that even though she was in that place, that place of difficulty, that place of mourning, that place of grief, that sadness and and, and that she'd become bitter, even though she was there in her reality, God was behind the scenes of our life and whatever we're facing whatever situation we find ourselves in today if it's similar to that that we have a God that we can trust in and we have a God who is a big mighty amazing God who behind the scenes of our life can be working and orchestrating things for our good to make things better than we could ever actually have imagined I find that quite encouraging to look at Naomi's life in that way and to say, yes, the God who did it for Naomi is still the same God that we serve and that we sing about today, who still works in our life, who is still behind the scenes, making things good, working things together. Then we have Ruth. Ruth goes from this place of obscurity to significance, a place of uncertainty to a place of real certainty, of absolute certainty. Not only was her life like Naomi's, showing the goodness of God and God's providence, but it also spoke about the obedience to God, the, and the obedience and the servant-heartedness that she had. Is servant-heartedness a word? I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to go with it. Ruth was a servant to Naomi. She obeyed Naomi. She clung to Naomi. We see at the outset that Ruth is saying, look, Naomi, I am not going anywhere that you're not going. I'm going to cling to you. And as I was saying last week, Ruth was just throwing down her own agenda, throwing down her own desires and her own own wants and saying, I'm going, I'm following you. It was complete and utter um, servanthood and obedience. And she finds herself moving from obscurity to significance, from uncertainty to certainty as she laid down her life. What an amazing story. 
And I think it shows us this, as we lay down our lives, as we follow in Ruth's footsteps in that way, it means that we can move into a deeper place with God as we become obedient, as we take up um, that mantle of being servants. We can experience, like Ruth, moving from a place maybe of uncertainty but to real certainty, to a place of significance in Christ. And then we've got Boaz, who went from a rich place, I think, to an even richer place. I don't really mean wealth, but really just in the sense that life was good, but life got better for him. And he moved in that sense, and it was a testament to really the kindness the faithfulness, the integrity of that man, but also to the fact that he was willing to take a risk. He was willing to let go, perhaps, of the safety and security that he had already. And I think, as I said, if we we learn anything from Boaz, that perhaps it's this, that although our life can be pretty good, it can be pretty comfortable, but let's not have anything stand in the way of saying yes to God whether it's fear or whatever it is, things in our life, because we might just miss out like the unnamed, unknown redeemer. Boaz entered into this fantastic story and we too can be like that. There's much to consider, much to consider as we journey with Ruth, Naomi and Boaz. I've only scratched the surface these last few weeks because this is a fascinating story. But I want to encourage us all to follow in their footsteps to look at them, to let their lives be an inspiration to us so that we then can move from where we are right now in our Christian journey to where we really want to be with Christ. They can inspire us and move us on. But as I said last week, if we try to be like Ruth and if we try to be like Boaz in our own strength, If we try to do it and try to keep obedient to God because it's the right thing to do, then we're never going to be filled with joy as we go in our obedience. And we're going to fail and it's not going to be sustained. We have to see the end of this story. We have to see the real redeemer, which is Jesus. It says in verse 14, And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. That's referring to, you know, Jesus, his name being renowned in Israel. And then Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The child Obed, interestingly, whose name means servant, would then father um, Jesse, then would father King David, and then that line would be the line of Christ. And we have got to see Jesus, the Redeemer. We have got to live in the knowledge of Jesus being our Redeemer if we're going to have any chance to follow the example of Ruth and Boaz. Because I tell you now, we can't do it in our own strength just because it's the right thing to do. Obedience to God just because it's the right thing to do will tire us out and it will be joyless. And we will feel like it's a struggle and we will feel like we're missing out on life out there. What we need to do is recognise that obedience to God is done by looking at Jesus, the Redeemer. Who we are in Christ. Jesus has covered us with his garment. We have all the wealth given to us. 
So we know that when we make mistakes and we mess up and we fail and we don't obey God and we go off and we do our own thing, that actually we're still loved and we're still accepted and we're forgiven and we've nothing to prove. Only when we see Jesus, only when we see our lives hidden in Christ does obedience to God become joyful. Does sacrifice become doable and servanthood desirable? Only then when we look at Jesus and see who we are in Christ. Will that inspire us and spur us on to be obedient, to be servant-hearted? Because we'll want to be, because of Jesus. Otherwise, we're just fulfilling a whole load of rules and regulations and doing things because we feel it's the right thing to do. This story is just a wonderful story of God's grace. And what do we see at the end of this story? Let's just have a little quick look. In verse 13, it said this, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighbourhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. A son has been born to Naomi. Naomi's born a son. Well, actually, she didn't, did she? She didn't bear the son. She didn't bear the child. Ruth did. But what we see is that Ruth brings in to Naomi's life more children. And Naomi has started out completely downhearted, bitter and sad. She'd lost her children, but now at the end of the story, she has a child again. You know what? Trusting in God will not necessarily mean that we get what we want in life or get the life that we planned for or the life that we perhaps expected. This was not the life that Naomi had hoped for. It wasn't the life that she had expected in her mind and planned all along. She had planned that her sons would grow up and carry on the family line with their children. But it had ended. It wasn't what she'd expected. But actually now, at the end of this story, what we see is something perhaps even better for her. Because Ruth bore Obed, who was in the line of Christ, and God gives her back her life and he blesses her but he blesses her in a different way he blesses her in a way that she'd never thought about that she'd never expected or planned for it's completely different trusting in God may not mean that we get the life we always thought or wanted or expected but God can make it better God's ending and outcome can be better than the thing that we have planned or hoped for you see her daughter-in-law Ruth is described by the women as being more than seven sons. What does that mean? Well, seven sons was a phrase. It was used to mean the perfect family. Seven, isn't it, is the perfect number in the Bible. And Ruth is described as more than that. She's more than the perfect family. The women are saying, look, to Naomi, Ruth is more than the perfect family you could have had. 
And back then, of course, even more so than today, traditional family was everything. That was really, really a big thing. It was really important to them. It was what everybody expected and lived for. And sons, sons were the best thing. They were much better than daughters. Sons carried on the family name. They had the power. Um, You know, they were given the prestige. They carried on the inheritance. You wanted a son. Patriarchal society. Don't get me started. (laughs) But this story shows something amazing about the grace of God. Coming through and absolutely wrecking and destroying this idea of what everybody expected and thought was the the right thing. The grace of God through Naomi's life was more fulfilling and brought more joy, even more so than the perfect family that she had expected and wanted. That's what the women were saying. It's even more than that. Your life is even better than that. And the grace of God can flow through our lives and bring something far more amazing, far more spectacular, far more satisfying than the things that we had wanted or ever expected. It's an incredible story, this story. It shows how God does away with all that expectation. The thought back then that the family was everything, God breaks through that. The thought that men were everything, God breaks through that. The relief that a particular race was everything, God breaks through that. Because remember, Ruth was a Moabite, she wasn't an Israelite. This was a cross-cultural marriage, in, and you know, it wasn't an Israelite woman, it was a Moabite. So God doesn't just break through the normal family, the normal men thing, but also about race as well. And that is amazing. That's beautiful. Because what's happening here, right back then, way before Jesus, the gospel message is being shown to us. Way back then, all those hundreds of years before Christ, the gospel message is being proclaimed through this story. It's not about status. It's not about fulfilling cultural norms or cultural expectations. It's not about what sex we are or what race we are. The gospel is for everybody. And even then, God is trying to communicate the gospel message to his people of love, of acceptance, of forgiveness, that all are welcome. It's not just for one group of people, but it's for everybody. Behind the scenes, God is always trying to show and communicate this message of love and acceptance right through the Old Testament, right here in the book of Ruth. It's a message that is central to our lives. We've got to carry the gospel message as central to our lives. Because if we don't, we will be defined by everything else. We've got to be immersed in this gospel message that God loves us, accepts us, forgives us. And if we don't live in that truth, we will be then defined by the other cultural norms, the things that are going on around us, just like back then. It might not be those same things. We've moved on a little bit in society, broken away perhaps from the traditional family and men and all of this. However, we have our own norms today. We have the, the, the pressure of a busy social life, you know, that we, we want people to think, you know, we're where it's at. We have the pressure of, you know, um, having a so-called perfect body We have the pressure of having a a, maybe a professional career or the perfect photo on Instagram. 
which I am guilty of sometimes. But we still have those things in our society, cultural norms. And if we don't live in the truth of the gospel message, we are going to live by those things. We are going to be defined by those things. They are going to affect who we are, affect our identity, affect our choices. We've got to have the heart of the gospel message in us. It's one of love and acceptance, and it frees us from all these other things. It freed Naomi, it freed Ruth, and it freed Boaz, and it can free us too. God's grace is so enormous, so extravagant towards you. What do we need to hear today? What do we need to hear? Do you need to know that behind the scenes of your life, God's providence is being outplayed? He's working behind the scenes of your life. Do you need to see how the obedience and the servant heart will enable you to move from where you are to where you want to be? But all the time you need to focus on Jesus and look to him. Do you need to take a risk to stop saying you can't because you won't and actually say I will and not let the comfortable security of where we are right now dictate where we want to be in our journey with God? Or do you need to see, as I was just saying, the grace of God breaking through your life story, the gospel message storming through, shining bright, letting us know that actually nothing defines us but Jesus. Nothing but that message defines who we are. No cultural norm, no expectation, It doesn't have to. There's so much that we can get from this story of Ruth. And like I said, I've only given you a little snapshot. But I want us, as we come to an end right now, I want us to think about what we've learned throughout these four chapters and what I've been talking about today. And I'm going to invite the worship group to (coughs) come back on stage. Thank you. I love this story. It's such a beautiful story. It's such a wonderful story. We need to know today and trust that God is a good God and he works in our life. He brings things together for good. But we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, that we have a redeemer. He's redeemed us. He's restored us. We need to be defined by the gospel message of love, of acceptance, of forgiveness. Let us stand together in this moment. (coughs) Father God, I thank you that you knew what you were doing way, way back in this story of Ruth. And the truth of this story is still relevant for us today. The lessons that we can learn from these characters is still so real for us today because we find ourselves in similar situations. We find ourselves facing difficulties and all sorts of different things. But Lord... We thank you that you ultimately are in control. 
that you care for us and that you love us and you work things out in our life to bring things around for good. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, as we go and move in our journey with you, as we go from where we are to where we want to be, Lord, as we try and be servants and and try to obey you, Lord, that we wouldn't do that in our own strength, that we would recognize we'll get nowhere in our own strength, that that won't be sustainable in our own strength, but God, that we would recognize that actually it's all about you and who you are and who we are in you. And actually, Lord... We want to obey. We want to be servant-hearted because we see you, Jesus, and it fills us with joy and it fills us with love and we are drawn towards you. God, I pray for anybody here today that might be struggling to obey but they're doing it in their own strength. Lord, I pray they'd look to you and know who they are in you. And when we fail and when we fall short, which we will, Lord, you pick us up and you take us on and you make things good again because you love us I pray today whatever you're asking us to do I pray we'll step out and do it there'll be no more can'ts but it will be yes Lord I can do it that we would let go of the safety and the security of our situation and say no I'm going to go for you God I don't want to miss out I don't want to miss out on anything that you've got for me Lord, I pray today that we would be defined by the gospel. We'd be defined by the gospel message. Not living by the standards and the things of this world, but living by the things of you. Knowing that you are a gracious God. And we love you, Lord.